I distinctly remember hearing someone yell, stop that van. From CBC Podcasts, an investigation into how young men are being recruited and radicalized on the internet. And she asked me if I was friends with a guy named Alec Manassian. By a new supercharged form of hate. On Facebook, police say he wrote the incel rebellion has already begun. A dark online subculture that's spilling over into the real world. Boys Like Me, available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. It was an unthinkable tragedy. A year and a half ago, the James Smith Cree Nation in Saskatchewan was the site of Canada's worst stabbing incident. Miles Sanderson killed 11 people and injured 17 others. Earlier this month, a coroner's inquest resulted in a number of recommendations to make the community safer, including changing the alert system. James Smith Cree Nation has now released its own emergency alert system. Chief Robert Head is from Peter Chapman First Nation, which is one of the three bands that make up James Smith Cree Nation, and he is in our Saskatoon studio. Chief Head, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. This inquest, as I mentioned, just recently wrapped up, and I know going through the events of a year and a half ago was really difficult for your community. How is it doing now? Well, the community is still feeling a lot of trauma and sadness and sorrow, pain and suffering. You know, it, those those are lifelong uh, events that are going to take a long time to heal from. And it's just a matter of working with each and every family, you know, over the years to come. Is your sense that coming out of it, the community can be stronger? Well, Matt, we have uh, challenges, you know, safety and security is one of the challenges that we're facing today. And uh, as you know, every First Nation across Canada faces the similar challenges. So we need to address those issues first. Let's talk about one of them, which is the emergency alert system. What were the issues? Because there is a provincial alert system that the RCMP was using um, a year and a half ago. What were the issues with the emergency alerts that the RCMP sent out during that massacre? Well, the morning of uh, September 4th, 2022 was uh, very chaotic in the First Nation. We had uh, numerous uh, 911 calls going into the the main RCMP centre in Saskatchewan and the information was all over the map on the reserve. So we had calls here, there and, uh, and pretty much everywhere. And so that made it difficult for the RCMP to respond to, uh, to the overall incident as a bigger picture. They were just chasing, you know, these calls across the community. So Miles was able to, you know, walk around the community, drive around the community and continue his uh, rampage. And if we would have had an emergency alert system, you know, we could have got the message out instantly that, you know, we had an armed assailant uh, randomly attacking residents of the community. Please shelter in place, bar your doors, keep safe, you know, phone 911 if you see anything. That would have been an easy message to get out. It would have been instantaneous because the application uh, works uh, through your cell phone. It's like the uh, national emergency uh, information, you know, alert system like that the they am- use. Like the Amber Alerts. Yeah, like the Amber Alerts, exactly. It works exactly like that, but it's through this uh, program called Talking Stick. This Talking Stick is actually a uh, peer-to-peer counseling advice program where a person can log on and they can talk to someone in, in a First Nations community and they can just, you know, run some some advice off of them or talk to them about their feelings or, you know, just just talk to somebody if you ever feel sad or lonely or something like that. And uh, it's a good program. There's 25,000 First Nation uh, people log on to this program in Saskatchewan and it's uh, tricycle data that, that put out the app and uh, CEO 
John Macbeth was in the community and he uh, introduced this new, this new part of it, which is the alert. If you download the Talking Stick app onto your phone, any cell phone from the App Store, you can uh, select what community you're from. And if you select uh, that community, like in our case, it'll be James Smith Cree Nation, mm. it'll allow the, uh, the emergency response team in our community to issue apps just for those people that have selected that they're from James Smith Cree Nation. So it'll be like a localized alert for our community only. And that would be controlled by the community itself? Yes. So yes. those alerts would go out specifically, so it would be the community that controlled when the alerts go out? Yes, it would be our emergency management response team that would determine when an alert should go out. And of course, every First Nation will have that in their, uh, in their First Nation, and they'll need to do a verification process before alerts are issued. So there will be a little slight uh, process for every nation, but we will determine what that is and we'll get those alerts out. And your hope is that everybody in the community would have, I mean, it's as, as good as, as, you know, how widespread it is, but your hope would be that everybody would have that app on their phone. It would be the hope, but like I was saying on, on the other day, like the young people are the ones that are uh, technologically inclined and, you know, every young person now has a cell phone. And these alerts will go through uh, through these cell phones, you know, without them having to be uh, connected to a, a service plan with uh, SaskTel, for instance. They'll still get the alerts, and it'll work good because young people are in every household in First Nations. Like our First Nations are just reaming and with young people, mm. so we have lots of young people out there. What would it have meant? I mean, it's hard to, to look back on this, um, but what do you think it would have meant to have this this specific system in place in September of 2022? Well, I know the one uh, fatality we had was a first responder. Uh, the late Gloria Burns was a uh, community first responder, and she was out helping one of the family members to revive uh, one of the victims that was stabbed. And that's uh, the attacker there, Miles, circled around and came back to that household and he took her life there while she was helping the family to revive uh, a young man. So that's one instance where this alert system could have said, you know, attacker at large, you know, attacking random people, stay in home, keep yourself safe, shelter in place type of thing. This so, would have saved lives. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. And, you know, that's just one area. That's like a public uh, safety area. The other area could be for natural disasters, like we have wildfires, mm -hmm. forest fires, grass fires, bush fires that move quickly through uh, communities. We could save countless households and, and troubles with this app for warnings in regards to those. And then there's another aspect for missing persons like uh, children or, or adults. You know, when they go missing, like there's a window of opportunity there for the community to keep their eyes peeled for this person, you know, within the first few hours of them disappearing. And that's the best possible time you can uh, have a successful ending to a missing persons report. And it feels important that it is controlled by the community. Oh, yes. Uh, sovereignty is the number one issue for First Nations in Canada. Mm. Like, we signed our treaties with the Crown of Canada. Like, we didn't sign them with the provinces. So falling under the provincial alert system is, is nice, but it's not timely. It takes hours and hours to get an alert out through that system, and it's very vague when it does come out. Can I ask you about another issue of sovereignty? And this commanded the report and the recommendations as well. And this is for James Smith Cree Nation to establish a local police force. This is something that First Nations across this country have been calling for and working toward in various capacities. What would that mean for your community to have its own police force? Well, policing is uh, the ultimate goal for every First Nation in terms of security and safety. But there's, there's more to policing than meets the eye because... You also need a justice system that 
goes hand in hand with the policing system. You need the laws in order to enforce your own laws on your nation. Like you need to have the police force there. You know, if you look around the jails of Canada here, there's 80% First Nations people in these jails. In our justice system, in our First Nations lands, our people that come into the courts, they're going to be put into programs and services that are at the root cause of why they broke the law. Like if a person is dealing with addictions, alcohol addictions, we'll put them into addiction center. And if a person is dealing with uh, anger, well, we'll put them into uh, anger management classes. If a person is dealing with, you know, unable to manage parenting, then we'll put them into parenting classes. We'll have a case plan for every person and we'll address their basic needs of how they have to rehabilitate themselves in order to be a, a better person. If you don't have all of those parts, if you just have a police force, what is your concern? Well, the police force itself is needed in every First Nation now because we know our people and we know the the layout of the land, let's say. So if there's an emergency, we know where that is. It's not like you have to consult a map and get directions on how to get there. Our people know our people, so it'll be a faster response. And we know who the dangerous people are in our community And we know who the people are that are sort of regular problem people. So we can react and uh, we can be better placed to, you know, respond to the needs of our people in terms of the policing. Because a lot of cases in Canada, you know, it's like a misunderstood relationship between the police and the assailant. And, you know, if they're not understood, there's no communication there, then things can go wrong. And we don't want that to happen. And to your point, I mean, if you don't have those other elements, the the changes to the correctional system, but also looking at issues around addiction, around family support, what have you, you can't address the root causes. That's true. The root causes, that's what we got to get to in Canada. Mm. The recommendations that came out of this inquest, they aren't binding. And so I wonder whether you're confident that they will lead. There's a lot of, uh, of, of expectation from the community, to your point, having gone through something like this. What are the, how confident are you that they will lead to real change? That's a great question. I think time will give us the answer on that one. I know the, um, the coroner there, Clive Wakehill, was going to write a letter to each and every one of the, like the Parole Board of Canada and the RCMP and the First Nations and just address each of the, the recommendations that had um, been sort of directed towards that agency. So we're expecting those letters to come in the mail. You know, the First Nations, in our, in our respect, we've been already engaging in uh, public safety and public security. So we're sort of already on the road to following the recommendations and we're hoping that the other agencies will follow the recommendations as well because it is voluntary. But, you know, all we could do is put pressure through through public questions and we can just hope that they they make changes. And to your point, I mean, there is, again, it's it's been an awful tragedy and the community has been shaken by this, but there is an opportunity for, for something stronger to come out of it? Yes, there is. Like, we don't have to... Uh, go through this again in any First Nation. And I know in Saskatchewan, there's First Nations that are in the news recently, like uh, Pelican Narrows Mm -hmm. and uh, Peter Ballantyne Cree Nation. And they have been in the news lately because of uh, violence related to drugs and alcohol and addictions. And, you know, it's just sort of a problem that's out there that we need to get to and address it and take care of it and keep our people safe. And security and policing is basically the first step. Chief Head, I'm really glad to talk to you about this. Thank you for taking time to speak with us. Yes, you're very welcome. Anytime. Chief Robert Head is from Peter Chapman First Nation, one of three bands that make up the James Smith Cree Nation in Saskatchewan. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced the Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. 
Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Edward Leonard Bush is executive director of the First Nations Chiefs of Police Association. He is in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. Leonard, good morning to you. Good morning, Matt. Thank you for having me on your program. Thank you for being here. Let's begin with this alert system, Indigenous-led alert system. How helpful do you think this will be to protect communities? Well, I think anything we can do to enhance uh, communication, uh, you know, between the uh, the leadership and the community and the and members of that community uh, is certainly uh, going to be beneficial. Uh, it's... Uh, you know, often uh, you know that that communication has broken down. Uh, not everybody has a cell phone, or and uh, not everybody uh, is always on their social media. So, any additional tools that can be leveraged, you know, to uh, promote community safety and let people know what's going on, especially in times of uh, you know uh, danger or, or uh, emergencies, uh, I think would be a positive step. What difference does it make that it's led by the community, that, that these alerts, to the chief's point, come from the community themselves, not from an outside agency? Well, I think it, you know, it does speak to us towards self-determination for our Indigenous people, which I think is, is very important, as the chief was saying. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, you know, the whole aspect of policing uh, uh, traditionally and currently is, is that uh, community policing doesn't work unless the community is, is, is also engaged and, and bears some responsibility for uh, public safety within their community. So that's why we're always trying to establish these close working uh, partnerships between police and the people in the community and, and trying to maintain those types of positive relationships. So I think, you know, this shows that the community has actually taken, uh, you know, a leadership role and some responsibility in making sure that the people in the communities do live in uh, safe homes and in a safe community. Mm. The, the, the next step in that is to create uh, a force, a police force within the community itself and not rely, for example, on the RCMP. This is something, uh, to the Chief's point, that, that First Nations across this country have been moving toward. What difference would that make, especially in, in smaller remote communities, to have a force that is, that is of the community rather than being brought in from, from outside? Well, I think it would uh, certainly... Uh, uh, strengthen a link, you know, uh, between, uh, you know, the, the police and the community. If the people uh, have a good, strong relationship with the community or from that community, I think there, there's a, a positive aspect to that as well uh, that can certainly help that whole notion of, of community policing. Traditionally, community policing was uh, somebody from the community who was appointed by leadership to be kind of take a lead role in ensuring that there was public safety. I think just, uh, you know, because of a uh, modern uh more modern times and economics of policing the economic realities that we face that we've kind of gotten away from that in, in a lot of places so but at the same time i think uh uh these police services all police services now are talk about interoperability we have to work together because the, the nature of the threat that communities are facing is not just local all the time but very much of it's tied uh you know provincially uh nationally and even internationally so all these agencies have to be prepared to work together to uh find uh, solutions and, and how to respond to the threats that are hurting people. How do you go about staffing a police force like that, such that you have buy-in from the community? Well, I think it's uh, right now, like recruiting and retention of employees is a big challenge for all police services, not just in Canada, but around the world. Uh, I think you have to get out there uh, 
again, have that relationship with people where people see police officers, not just in an enforcement role, but also in a, in a caring and uh, in a cooperative role, that uh, someone who's willing to work with the community. I think that makes that whole aspect of, uh, of uh, being a police officer a lot more attractive. Uh, a lot of times you know, the police get, you know, the negative uh, press they get uh, tends to uh, uh, be aired more than, than the good news stories. And, uh, and I think the police and the communities have to work towards, uh, you know, uh, changing that and, and uh, you know, showing that policing and protecting your community is a viable and, and noble career a choice. What is the good? I mean, to your point, the negative stories do outweigh those positive stories. So what what is the good? What's the positivity that a First Nations police force um, or police organization can, can, can have in a community? Well, I think they can, they're often called upon to take a leadership role, not just in the matters of, of law enforcement or stuff like that, but I think in our communities, we tend to look for, uh, for leadership to help uh, uh, with all aspects. We know that a lot of our communities are suffering from, uh, you know, historical trauma, there, there's mental health issues, there's, uh, you know, uh, organized crime issues, there's uh, drug issues, addiction issues. And I think a lot of times people will look to their police uh, you know, to help with them and work with them to to uh, to address those issues as well, and that's often like when you have a First Nations and police service in the community. I think that that kind of changes their role or the way they're perceived than than uh, in some of the larger, more traditional uh, police agencies that we see. So I think that that can be an advantage, but it also uh, puts uh, pressure on the uh, First Nations police services to make sure that they're getting training that that is uh, culturally uh, culturally appropriate mm. and applicable and relevant to their communities. The chief also talked about addressing underlying issues that contribute to crime, that you can't just have a police force that's there, but you also need to look at the other issues that might lead to those those calls in the first place. How successful can First Nations police forces be if you don't have that bigger picture, that holistic approach, if I can put it that way? Uh, I think that you're just then you're, you're strictly into reactive policing. You're not really, you're going to the same calls again and again. You're dealing with the, the same people again and again, and you're not solving the problem. I think you have to look at it from, you know, what is causing this and what can we do working with the community to solve that issue? You know, if you arrest somebody numerous times because of their, say, alcohol abuse, you know, at what point do you sit down with that person and say, listen, uh, do you think that your drinking is becoming a problem? Do you, do you see the impact it's having on your family and the people around you? Maybe there's something we can do to get you the treatment if, if you want it. And even just to be able to have, you know, those resources available and have the police you know, uh, step outside that law enforcement role, but, you know, more into that, uh, let's solve the problem uh, kind of approach, I think would be a positive thing. But in in a lot of communities where we don't have a lot of other resources, again, the police are often called upon to take that leadership role. So I think we have to be, you know, training police to look at the, you know, the big picture and, and, uh, you know, what, what we can do with the community to solve problems. We're just about out of time, but what do you see as a model that that can be employed um, in James Smith? When we were, for example, uh, in Whitehorse in Yukon, we talked to people there about the difference that Indigenous-led policing had meant in those communities. That people in the community said that it had changed the community for the better. That they saw themselves represented in those officers, but also saw the community get stronger. What is there a model that you've seen elsewhere in the country that could be applied in this community? Well, there's many models uh, across the country because, you know, the diversity that we have in this country, you know, the geographic realities, you know, the size of communities all differ. So there is a lot of diversity and there's not one size fits all. I think we have to look at each particular community, what their needs are and, and, and deliver a model, whether it be, 
you know, police uh, police service uh, uh, on the ground if they have the uh, if they have enough uh, you know population and and to to have a, a police officer with a with a critical mass that can sustain itself. That's a very positive thing. Mm. Uh, for we know since the beginning of the First Nations policing program in the early '90s that one third of all the self-administered police services in Canada have been disbanded, and most of them was because they were small. So if they had say three police officers. One retired, one got sick. Uh, they were basically out of business, and then they'd have to call another police service and take over. So we've learned from that that, you know, if we're going to establish new police services, we, we really encourage them. Think about regionalization. You know, get that that critical mass in your human resources so you can sustain those bumps that come down the road. So uh, that's important. But there may be, uh, you know, maybe you're not going to have a, a an armed police officer in the community all the time, mm. uh, but maybe you'll have a a special constable, a community safety officer, some kind of a, a blended policing model would have worked well for you. Again, that would certainly open the lines of communication to let the uh, the police force of jurisdiction mm. know in real time what's happening in the community. Leonard, glad to talk to you about this. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Edward Leonard Bush is Executive Director of the First Nations Chiefs of Police Association. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.